0: You know losing three in a row we go to uh, back to Boston we're up three nothing in the first period and again I'm not saying I, I saw things through a different lens or I'm better than it but I remember when we scored three nothing the the celebration on the bench was of almost hey all right boys we got this it's three nothing and I remember saying to myself like it's we don't have this like there's a long there's a long game left and um, lost we literally collapsed the the flyers did an unbelievable job of continuing to put pressure on they never gave up they came back and and ended up beating us in game seven it was one of the more crushing defeats that i've ever had as a as a professional athlete um but you fast forward to the next year we had heard about it all summer right you couldn't get away from it even if you lived in canada like the greatest collapse in the history of the nhl playoffs the only third team to do it i can't remember when the team before us was didn't matter but we used that as fire to go into the next one and we had some tough we had three game sevens, I think, in that playoff run to win the cup. And it really taught us like, you play until the final whistle. And again, if you're down by a couple goals, that confidence that you're talking about, like, that's all right, boys. We're down two. It's fine. We got, we have 50 minutes left. It's lots of time. Like, let's just figure out a way to to make it happen. So that lesson was huge for our, for our team going into the next season. And I don't think, uh, I shouldn't say I don't think we went 2011 without it, but it definitely helped win in 2011 going through 2010. That
1: was two-time Stanley Cup champion Sean Thornton, and you are listening to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. Welcome to Up My Hockey with Jason Podolan where we deconstruct the NHL journey, discuss what it takes to make it, and have a few laughs along the way. I'm your host, Jason Podolan, a 31st overall draft pick who played 41 NHL games but thought he was destined for a 1,000. Learn from my story and those of my guests. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to the Up My Hockey podcast with Jason Podolan. I am your host, Jason Podolan. And today we have on a former teammate of mine in the St. John's era uh, with the St. John's Leafs who went on to become a two-time Stanley Cup champion and one of the most beloved Boston Bruins of all time, Sean Thornton. Now, Thornton is revered as being a great teammate, and I will vouch for that. Uh, Thornton and I got along real well back in St. John's, maybe a little too well some nights, uh, and had a lot of fun together. Uh, he, he would go to bat for you, definitely. Uh, he, he played hard. Uh, on and off the ice and he was a—he uh, was just a ton of fun to be around. Always a quick wit, always somebody that would be there uh, for you when the chips were down and you could always count on authority on in whatever aspect uh, you were you were speaking about, whether that'd be find someone to go for dinner after a game or a beer or someone who's going to back you up on the ice. Uh, Sean was your guy. And his story. I'm really happy that he agreed to come on. Uh, he's he's very busy these days with the Florida Panthers uh, in the marketing d- division. Uh, he's he's working he's working hockey uh, hockey from the other side uh, of the of the boards, and he's doing a great job at it by all accounts. He was a curious player uh, towards the end of his career, which we talk about. Uh, he was always interested in the business side, and. Uh, and you know, making connections and, and networking and, and, uh, and becoming resourceful and, and gaining information, uh, benefited him and is benefiting him now. So for Sean to take some time out of his day, uh, to share stories with us, I am super grateful for. And, uh, and yeah, he's just one of the great stories that I wanted to have a chance to talk with him. And and the funny thing is, like like I said, Thordy and I were uh you know, we, we were friends beyond teammates. We we chose to go to Florida together for one of the All Star breaks, which I which I remember we had a ton of fun uh doing that on, on the plane. We were we were listening to Miami <laughs> the song by Will Smith all the way down uh to uh to Miami, and uh, anyways, we had a ton of fun together. Uh, but we haven't been in touch since since our playing days. You know, I went over to Europe. Sean uh, obviously went on to an NHL career, uh, and hadn't talked to him in over ten years. And and that's the hockey world, and that's and that's what the connections will do. Because when you uh, pick up a pick up a message on LinkedIn, it uh, it works out. You know, so he wanted to come on. Uh, I wanted to talk to him about his book. He has a book out right now, uh, fighting fighting my way to the top. Uh, which I picked up a signed copy of here in the Vernon bookstore. I couldn't believe they had a copy, a signed copy of Sean's book there, but they did, and uh, and read that. It's a good read, and uh, I want to talk with Sean because of his like what he was, you know, as a player, and then what he developed himself into as a player, and what it took for him to do that. Uh, you talk about a story of perseverance and resiliency, and and uh, and growth, and like Sean. Sean's your guy. I mean, Thordy's your guy. He, he got his first taste of the NHL at 25, which is a, a heck of a long time in some people's minds, you know, for, for, to be four, five, six years—I think he was—in the minors, six full seasons before he got his his taste at a, at, with an NHL jersey. Like that's a long grind, uh, and a lot of guys aren't willing to to make that grind. Uh, and he so he got his first game at 25, but he didn't become an NHL regular until he was 29 years old. Uh, he was at the end of his—I think it was a second or third con- pro contract. He got traded um, from the Chicago organization where he was with Norfolk at the time to Anaheim. And uh, and he went on to be an everyday player for the Ducks, and went on to be a regular in the lineup for the playoff run that won them the Stanley Cup in uh, 2007, which happened to be the uh, a contract year for Sean. So it was an awesome departure from being a you know labeled by many as a career minor leaguer into the world of free agency, and uh, and everybody wanted somebody like Sean on their team. So he had quite a few offers. He ended up choosing the Boston Bruins on a multi-year deal and uh, ended up being a part of the culture change that happened there during that time, which led to a Stanley Cup a, a few years later with them and, uh, and him being an iconic figure in Boston now. He was uh, really, uh, you know, loved by the fans uh he played the game the way boston fans think the, the game should be played uh he was never the biggest guy in the fight or very very rarely uh but he always showed up and he always got it done uh he was he was a technical guy knew how to knew how to fight the art of fighting um and he was also a heck of a player which we talk about here a very underrated player in my opinion um i noticed his skill set when we played together on the rock um uh, he 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 had some hands, and, and, and he could play, and he could think the game, and he turned out to be, uh, you know, a very very steady third fourth line player in the NHL for for a lot of years. Ended up playing uh, how many games? He ended up playing over seven hundred games, regular season games, and over a hundred NHL playoff games, and that's starting essentially from the age of twenty nine. What's uh, a fantastic fantastic story, uh, and it's it just lets you know that that you know that that from the steel mill where, where he was working uh, when he first got drafted, and even his draft story is remarkable, uh, that big dreams can come true. And uh, if you if you play the game the right way, uh, you keep your, your head down uh, and keep your nose to the grindstone that these these things can work out. And, uh, and I'm so thankful for Sean for sharing the story. And uh, he's always got a good story. He's a funny guy to talk to. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, I bring you Sean Thornton. Alright, we are live. This is episode 78. I got an old teammate of mine, Sean Thornton, in front of me. It's been way too long since we had a chance to catch up, um, but I want to welcome to the podcast two-time
0: Stanley Cup champion, Sean Thornton. Never thought we'd be saying that when we were in The Rock. That's for, that's for sure. Good to see you, buddy. It's been too long. You are correct. It
1: has been too long, man. And you know what? Like I, I uh, As many, I'm sure, that have you know followed your career... Um, and you know had a touch point along the way and and maybe every place up until Anaheim probably would have said what you just said right like just the unlikely hero but at the end of it like totally believable you know in so many ways and 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 so well learned so um first of all congrats on that and it's been a long time for me to be able to say that but like what a what an amazing run what an amazing career um and I'm sure you have a million stories along the way, which is why the book is here. But, um, yeah, congrats, my friend.
0: Thanks buddy. Thanks. Yeah. It was a, it was a grind, you know, nine years and nine years in the minors is not, uh, not a walk in the park as you're aware, but, uh, it all paid off. I wouldn't change the thing. Maybe, uh, maybe I would have liked to have gotten to the show a little bit quicker, but, uh, right. how it ended up
1: no kidding, man. And that, like, uh, did some digging in your book you talk about you mean hockeyfights.com not existing you know hockey db didn't exist like we didn't know shit about each other really right like playing together I mean we had a few stories here and there but no one really knew and now I can go back and dig in and um geez man like fifth all time in the ahl for pims which I'm sure you're aware of um so asked me I was third when I left I guess a couple guys must have a couple other journeymen must have passed me Oh, there you go. Okay, so you were top three at one point. I mean, Bonvi looks like he's never going to be touched. But, I mean, even to be fifth, I was like – because you were throwing up big numbers for there, right? And I'm like, I wonder where he's at. So I searched it up,
0: and I'm like, fifth, like, that's crazy in and of itself. Like, is that something that you're proud of in a weird way? Uh, I mean, listen, you were there for it, right? Like, it was, uh, it was a means to an end. Some days I enjoyed it back then. As I got older, it was less enjoyable. But I'm not going to complain about it. It got my foot in the door. It's what – uh I wasn't the greatest hockey player. I had to work hard on that, so uh, it, it got me noticed, got me into the A, kept me in the AHL instead of going down to the East Coast League, and you know, like we talk about work and work and work and work, and eventually, you know, right. turn myself into an okay hockey player and then I take the next step. So, um, am I proud of it? I mean, listen, it's a it's a stat, right? I I feel like I earned it. We we had some good great teams back then when I was putting up big numbers in the PIM category, but. That league was a different league back then, right? I mean, we play St. John, Freddie. They had five or six guys on every team. Every night you thought you were getting in one or two, uh, and to get out of one without a fight was, uh, was a miracle back then. So it's not surprising, especially with my role and me trying to make a statement for myself and make a name for myself. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a badge of honor. I'm not sure I'm proud, proud of it, but it's, it's yeah. definitely a badge of honor. I doubt it's getting me in the HL Hall of Fame, but uh, it's a badge of honor, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think you. It-
1: it was hard. I mean, you have you mentioned it a few times in your book. And by the way, I haven't been able to get through it. I just got it yesterday. I wanted to get it's into it as Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's really but you, but you do get into it. And you talk about... I mean, you talk about... I mean, maybe you didn't use the word pride, but I mean, it's not easy. Like, let's just put it that way, right? I mean, it's not easy. To, to do what you did um, with the size of the guys that you were up against, you know, in the minors for a majority of it, um, not knowing you know, yeah, it got you in the league and it maybe kept you there, but you didn't know what it was going to get you, what it wasn't going to get you. Um, It's a a mind game, I'm sure, a lot of the time, you know, and that would be something that I think would be proud of
0: because there's got to be days you don't want to do it. Right, but I guess I'm fortunate in my upbringing that, you know, talk about it a little bit in the book too. Like, I mean, you met my old Mads, very blue collar, didn't want to go back to the factory, fighting in the HL, us going on the road to Portland and being able to have a few beers with the guys, like, that's a much better option for me than than going back home and, and having to do the seven to four on the factory. So I, it wasn't the toughest job in the, in the job of hockey, probably, but still better than a lot of other options out there. So I, I never complained about it. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, the one thing you, I, I heard an interview
1: with you on geez, one of, it was on the, the hockey network there on serious. And I can't remember who, who you're with maybe with, um, uh, the guy uh, o- O'Brien, I think maybe interviewed you and uh, and you actually said which surprised him, he he got on afterwards saying uh, you mentioned that you didn't you didn't really like it, you know and and maybe you were talking more about, you know, later parts of your year, uh, or in your career. But yeah, I mean, the, and he said like the Sean Thornton, he knew, he thought you loved it. And the Sean Thornton, I knew, I thought you loved it too. Um, yeah. so was that kind of a little bit of a, a mirage you were putting up there as far as like from,
0: from how you, you, you presented yourself? Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want any of my teammates thinking I was going into a game having second thoughts about the job that I was being, uh, entrusted to do. So, yeah, I mean listen, Obes could do it too, right? Like you could fight. We had, we had some guys that could take care of themselves, but I had other teammates that maybe that wasn't uh, their strong suit to, to say the least. And the last thing I wanted was them sitting beside me thinking, oh God, he hates doing this. Is he gonna be there for me tonight? Like, so yeah, I and you know, I put on a show a little bit. I acted a little crazier than I was. I mean, you you know me off the ice too, and my personality off the ice is completely different than what it was on the ice, and I had to put my mind in that. You know, space to be able to do the job that I did, but um, so was I acting a little bit. Yeah, probably. Uh, I'd I'd be hard pressed to find too many guys that really enjoyed getting punched in the face and having their orbital broken and nose bleeding all over the place. You, you, you really—that's a special breed (laughs) to be like that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah no kidding I, I want to rewind just a little bit because you um I know you're a humble dude and you know you you, you still remain that way it, it, it you know it, it seems from the book and how you talk but you kind of beat yourself up as a hockey player and that was one thing that like when anybody ever asked me like about you the one thing I remembered is I thought you were better than people gave you credit for you know like I, I and I mean that heartfelt like I was like this guy can play you know like you you could play like you I don't know what you would say. I thought that like your skating, I think you needed to work on a bit, but your hands were always there. I thought you had, I thought you had a a touch with the puck. And and that's something that I think gets lost. And I think for me, like watching your success and then as you made it as an -er, NHLer, yeah, I mean the fighting got you through the door, but you could play the game. And which is why I think like that Bruins line was so successful and, and you being a part of it because you weren't like the typical you know, I don't know, whoever, insert the blank, right? The guy that would play a minute and a half
0: and just fight and couldn't play a lick, you know? I I wouldn't be able to do that, I don't think. I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror. I mean, I probably, again, to earn a paycheck, to not be back in the factory, yes, but I wouldn't have been happy. Even I would have been less happy doing that, just literally going out there. I think I might even play D when we played together, didn't I, for... Yeah, 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 yeah yeah so I mean the NHL obviously was move up front you're forward and my skating I'd say still would have needed uh improving it I could get there in a straight line but when it started going this way it wasn't as good especially if there's a puck on my stick but I appreciate it. I mean yeah, I I thought my hands were always decent I mean I you know you get into shootouts and practice and stuff I can do things that people weren't expecting me uh to do and uh yeah my teammates always thought I was you know under appreciated in my playing ability but i i see the guys that i'm playing with and i'm like well i never do that so uh, i just tried to try to get by and not be uh i think i was smart enough to not expose myself i suppose (laughs) that's funny yeah
1: we, we uh it was fun actually reading a few chapters there because you spent some time uh talking about the rock and you know almost dedicated an entire chapter to to bird dog um rest in peace bird um you know what a what a crazy time. I mean, I've I've had discussions with Terry Ryan, um, who you you mentioned him briefly in the book too. Played in Fredericton there, was first rounder with Montreal. He was a tough guy in his own right, um, good hockey player, and he was part of those battles against us. He was also part of playing for Michelle Tarian, which I think we should probably touch on here at some point. Um, but. I mean with Bird and I'm going to connect Bird just to you and you say that you act a little crazy cuz I was with you I mean we were both young right I mean I was I was 1 year old in the year. so I was in my second year pro when you were your first year pro and we were both kind of trying to figure it out and um you definitely did like you were you were a little bit of a showman right and uh and a little bit of uh of a guy who wanted other people to know that you were around there and um and then you also talked about Bird being a bit of a mentor and and kind of reminding you that you needed to be a little bit crazy sometimes. Was that something that was that what part of the piece of, of being under Bird's wing that you kind of t- took to heart?
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you have a beer with that guy, and he was one hundred percent the craziest person I've ever played with in my career. Right, like he had a switch that when he went, it was gone. It was like he went into a dark hole, and you don't know who, who was coming out of it. And um, but again, I talked about in the book, like. And you know you play with him. He'd been if I was in trouble, he would have been the first guy I called, right? Like he he would have flown across the country to bail you out of jail. He was that type of human being. Um, but yeah, I remember he telling me he's like, "Thority, you're you're six one, six two. I think two hundred pounds at the time. He's like, all these guys are my size and bigger. Like you're gonna have to act like you're a little bit nuts to just make them think a little bit about coming after you. You're gonna be fighting thirty six times a year, and and I'm fighting thirty six times a year. So maybe I wasn't I uh, didn't act as crazy as I needed to. And the other thing he said too is like don't ever second guess it like you're going in you go in all guns a-blazing I remember he always used to use that term go in all guns a-blazing gloves off grab somebody you'll know real quick whether you're in one or if they're just going to back down but the majority of the time you going in with all guns a-blazing if they back if you don't go in all guns a-blazing they might not back down but you go in with all of it you're going to find out real quick if they're real or not but you'd rather have that advantage going in I was like that's a hell of a point bird why would I you know tiptoe in there especially in the league we were playing in so I learned a lot about it he you know was the guy that was out with the boys up with the men and he really helped put that work mentality into into myself i mean you know we weren't afraid to have a few back then we'll talk about that in the book too we'd be out but you better be sure you're the first guy in and on the bike and sweating it out before practice because you knew he was he was by example in that way I remember him putting the tracksuit on and the garbage bag to sweat out the so he wouldn't stink when he was on the ice and i mean I, I carried that on throughout my career maybe not going out as late and all that stuff but i made sure i was the first guy in the gym every single day like when you're the when you're the fourth line guy that's you didn't have a lineup or just playing minute some meaningful minutes like you better make sure everyone knows you're putting the work in yeah he was
1: uh i agree like it, it, you i think you walked the line with them pretty well in, in the book because I fortunately for me too I was one of the guys that he liked I mean I don't know why yeah. um, but I was super thankful of that because you did not want him on your bad side and there was there was aspects of bird that it was so crazy that like that so many different traits could live inside of one human you know because he was really kind and he was like super Warm
0: in ways, yet he was a crazy sob. And he, and he throw an ashtray at you when you're playing his bells game. I remember like it was yesterday. I was like, <laughs> "What just happened?" And in his head, he's like, "I knew where he was going. I wasn't really going to hit him. I was just warning him. Don't don't jump in on my machine at the <laughs> logger." Oh my
1: god, that is a funny story. I should actually tell a story. So yeah, so they had those VLTs in St. John's, and and again, so like I was I was one of Bird's guys, kind of right. Like he he liked me, and this is more for the audience than for, than for you thoughts But like he was he was but he had that switch and he never really knew like that crazy switch. And he never knew if he was actually putting it on. Cause sometimes he did put it on and sometimes it was for real. And, um, and he was having a few beers. He was always there at the bar before I was. Um, I think he liked getting there first and he had a few in them and it was after a game and he was playing these VLTs that were there. And that was one of the things that I like to do too after a game, just to unwind, like not talk to anybody and just have a couple beers and play some VLTs and kind of just get your head in a different spot. And, Anyways, he's yelling at me from like, um, what was that? Probably thirty feet. Like it was a long way away, and they had the, that was back in the day. You could smoke in the bar, and they had those thick like glass ashtrays. Like the thing was probably four pounds, and uh, and he's screaming at me to get off his machine, and I'm laughing at him because I think we're buddies. I'm like, oh, bird, what? And all of a sudden, this thing rips right by my head and breaks into the closet or off the wall or whatever. And I looked at him like it really could have like. Ended me, you know what I mean, <laughs> and it wasn't like he was stone sober. And I don't have no idea what kind of army he had, so I don't think he was that pinpoint precision. Like it was, it like, he did, but yeah, yeah, and that was bird, right? Like, you never really knew what you were gonna get, and. uh and yeah, and he did some things that you just shouldn't do. You know I mean? And he, he, I mean, there was, there was that aspect to him. I don't really want to cover that up because that was part of him too. Um, but boy, like there are some things you could really learn from him. And there's also some things that you could learn not to do
0: from him. Yeah, and 100%. Was, I, I think yeah, yeah, after I 2021,
1: it's like sometimes it was hard to figure it,
0: out which one, right? Yeah. Al says in the book, he's like, Thor- Bird was a great mentor for him because he taught him what he should do, some aspects and what he shouldn't do as well. Uh Right. So I love them for both. I mean, you yeah. got to make your own decisions as an adult. How, um, you
1: talk about being that the pretty formidable time for you. Like I know for me too, like I, I ended up being a, a suitcase as you know, like I was all over the place, different countries and everything and played with a lot of guys. Uh, but that my time in St. John's, although probably none of us really wanted to be there, you know, like wanted to, like it was an amazing place to play and it was an amazing group of people to play with. And even like the group of teammates we had, um, even though like we weren't as successful as maybe we thought we might have should have been. Um, it it was, it was a pretty cool group
0: there, you know, yeah, we had an amazing bunch of guys. I'm still tight with a, a lot of them. Um, I mean, for us, I mean, you came from sunny Florida, to come play for us, right? Like you were here in this, uh, was this arena built? Was it, no. or you're, in the, you're in the Miami arena. Like yeah. you're coming from there and practicing in, uh, Pompano to, uh, Coming to St. John's, Newfoundland, and I'm coming from Oshawa, Ontario, and I know nothing about Newfoundland, nor do I know what Sunrise or Miami is. So uh, we probably have different entry points and different expectations. Uh, you were in the NHL; I was coming from uh, junior hockey, and um, so I I embraced it. I really I really enjoyed it. Uh, four years there was a lot. My last year uh, with the new coaching staff, I wasn't uh, as happy as I. I probably would have wanted to have been, uh, I, I needed a fresh start and I was glad to get out of there, but you gotta admit the people there, like Billy Hick, like all these people we've met when we were there for those, they're just the greatest individuals going. Like they, they really are. They give you the shirt off their back, open up their doors. You know, we, we did not go without when we were on the rock, people were always taking care of us. So I, I really embrace it. That I mean, it was the minors, but again, I wasn't ready for the NHL. I didn't know if the NHL was, I thought it was a pipe dream at that point. And, um, it was winter from the time he got there till the time he left. But other than that, I think uh, it was as great of an experience as I would have wanted at that age.
1: Yeah, no, it was fun. And we were both single at the time. It was a good place to be single. And we were out and getting to know the community and the people and, you know, having our share, fair, fair fair share of fun there. I mean, and I don't, I talked to Nathan Dempsey. He was, uh, he was a guest on the podcast and and boy, his career was amazing too. Like after, you know, thinking that you're going to be a, or at least me, and I'm sure there was others. You I mean you weren't a captain on any minor league team and you're 26 years old and haven't played a game in the NHL, like you you don't think you're gonna have an NHL career at that point. And for him to go on and do that, that's a really great episode for anyone listening, uh um his story. But talking to him, like he was one of the only married guys there.
0: Yeah. Right? I mean, like I there was he was 23 years old. We're like, get out of the game, you old man. We're chirping him, like <laughs> he's 23. But I thought he was 30 in the way he acted, you know, how mature he was, him and Trish. Being yeah. together since high school, I mean, yeah, he, he's all, he's a great human being. I had him in my golf tournament a few years ago. Uh, we still keep in touch too. He's such a great human being.
1: Oh, no, what a great guy and what a great success story he had there. But yeah, I mean, I was I talking with him, I was like, geez, like, like some. And you talk about the book, and I want to talk about that, like the the ability to be a professional and what that actually means. And and that one discussion Aaron had with you, and you never really got into like what that shifted for you. But you know, at the time. We were there, and and personally, I think in our both our own ways, we are like, really successful. Um, you know, I had 40 goals, was leading the AHL and scoring that one year. I had, like, 100 pins and penalties, and that was when I got traded. Um, we had a good team that second year where I was there and, and left. and um, But we were going out, you know? Like, we were out. Um, again, our examples. Yeah, and, and our examples were old pros that were going out. You know what I mean? So it was, like, I, that was sort of, like, the culture at the time. We were having personal success, but definitely not like when I hear about like a Sidney Crosby or I hear about a Patrice Bergeron or I hear about some of these guys that are at the top of their game. Like we weren't acting like them, you know? No, definitely so, not, right? But we didn't know any different, you know what I mean? So I was in, in that talk with with Demer. I'm like, God, like I don't know if I could have been married. It probably couldn't have been, but maybe it might have been good for me. I mean, but you never know, <laughs>
0: right? Like I have no idea. I'm not sure. It's still. Would you still be married, though? I mean, I. Right. I, I wasn't. I wasn't ready to be. Demmer's a special breed, right? So, uh, but no, you're right. It was a culture back then, and you can't just say it was us. Like we'd go, and the visiting team was in. Seventy-five percent of the visiting team was in the same bar we were in, like the night before the game and after the game before they flew out. So right. it was. Uh, it was just a different. It was just a different community then. Different hockey community then. Yeah. Well, what was the shift you so
1: you did you did say I mean you're, you're very open you know about you know you you liking your bars and going going for beers and, and you know and 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 going in the morning and working it off and then you know Aaron your wife there says hey like these, these things aren't lining up or they're canceling <laughs> each other out um, yeah. what what was that what was that like shift of course there there's a little bit of a light bulb moment there but how did that change how you interacted with the game and maybe your social life
0: so I'll tell you a quick story. I haven't told this too many times uh, publicly, but my first date with my wife was uh, like official date. I had met her in the gym. We kept in contact. I went back to the minors. We, you know, we kept in touch. We weren't really dating, but we were staying friendly. And then our first date, you know, at the end of the season, you always come back. You have probably a, a week-long bender with your teammate, uh, your teammates down in the city you're playing. And then you come home, you get to see your boys from back home. And you go on like a four or five-day bender to, to unwind. I was coming off that five days and I was at my buddy Hubie's place to like I don't even know what time and I think I might talk about it but I'm not sure but anyways I got up in the morning with not much sleep probably good enough to drive ish went in to meet her for a workout and worked out I sweated the whole time I reeked like Canadian Club probably (laughs) go to lunch we have lunch I have one sushi roll and like six Sapporo's because I'm about to go to another party with my buddies from my hometown not in Toronto and so she knew what she was sort of getting into as we started dating she's like all right well this is the hockey culture this is what he's like he likes to have a good time blah 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 but then we're about a month in and i was then we were really dating and she's like you're still going out three four days a week like i don't care about it like you have your friends like it's not about time with me or anything like that but i also see you in the gym for three hours a day if not more then i see you go play hockey then i see you go back to boxing Then i go see you do She's like you're working out five six hours a day and you just go and drink it away at night it's not you're. it doesn't make sense you you're putting too much effort in if you're going to be serious about it like try and be serious about it and she wasn't wrong it, it was like a I've had teammates tell me I've had coaches tell me but when somebody from that has no clue about the hockey world is just like uh, on the outside now the inside but looking at it and gives you that objective uh opinion I was like. Oh, right. Yeah, she's probably right. I mean, I thought going to Arby's and getting five roast beef sandwiches was good eating, right? Like, I was like, yeah, it's protein. It's fine. I lifted a bunch of weights today. But she really helped, like, clean up my diet, got me to, you know, start thinking about sleep regular, start thinking about, you know, pick your spots on when you're going to go have a good time. You need that, too, mentally. Like, I know how you're built, but you don't need to be out five, six, seven days a week. It's not it's not working for you. And you'll never, if you truly want to make it to the next level, you're going to have to be disciplined on both sides of it too. You can't just be, you know, one side serious, the other side, not.
1: Thank you so much for being here today and listening to my interview with Sean episode 79. Um, it's pretty insane that we are up this high already in the episode count. Uh, I really enjoy this. Uh, It's been a lot of fun. I just want to remind you that I do have a parent group called Up My Hockey. If you're a hockey parent listening to this, it's on Facebook. It is a private group. Uh, It is not... Uh, it's only private just because you can't come in there and spam things and you, you know, you can't come and go. So I make sure that it's private. Um, things can't be shared outside the group. It's a great community. It is a free community. Uh, there is tons of value that is offered in there. I, I share a lot of uh, knowledge from my, from my mindset coaching and things that can help uh, parents navigate the game and players. And, uh, and it's become a really great resource and a really great community for, uh, for parents all across North America. There's over 1500 families in there. Uh, so if you have a, if you have a son or daughter that plays the game, uh, in any capacity, really, this is for, this is for all hockey parents. Uh, this could be a great group for you to join. Uh, and if you are uh, a parent of a competitive player, it is, it is the perfect group for you to join because we do talk about high performance uh, skills and traits. Uh, we do help each other along. It's not just me uh, being the voice of this group, but there is uh, other, other members that, uh, that are very vocal and, and it is a very highly engaged group. So uh, if you are interested, uh, please join uh, the Up My Hockey Facebook group. Join the other over 1,500 families involved. And uh, you are also the first to receive uh, you know, any of my new offers or new products while you're while you're in there as well. So uh, yeah, up my hockey on Facebook. It's called the Up My Hockey Parent Group. Uh, register today. Now back to the episode with Sean Thornton. Right. So having someone in your corner like that who is home and you know I don't know if you guys are living together at that point, but then no. it kind of kept you more accountable to it though too,
0: right? Yeah. Yeah. We weren't living together. We were just dating, uh, and I was you know still in and out of the city, back and forth to my hometown, but. Uh, we really got serious over that summer. And then I, I went into training camp, she changed my diet. Um, I went to training camp in Chicago, I think like, a it's about 198 pounds, which was lighter than my like rookie year. I was shredded. Uh, but then she came to watch me play and she was actually sitting beside Nathan Dempsey's wife. We were playing Edmonton and I had to go with big George's and he tossed me all over the place. Uh, she had no idea really what NHL was. She was, she grew up jumping horses dad was the director of the national ballet of canada like not a hockey family at all right but george tossed me all over the place she's like oh he's in good shape but yeah he probably needed that extra five eight ten pounds for what his job is i remember trish grabbed her it was again her first hockey game watched me play trish grabbed her by the knee and was like hey if uh if he goes to the locker room they'll call you if he goes to the penalty box he's okay <laughs> she's like what did i sign up for but uh no she really she really helped uh, put me you know, my mind in the right place uh, in that capacity. Anyway, it's discipline wise.
1: That's, uh, yeah, man, the guys you end up fighting, uh, crazy. And I mean, that's uh, everyone that's like kind of comments in the book and, and obviously nothing away from your, from your personal toughness, cause you won a lot of them, but like just how well you did at the size yeah. you were, um, even when we played together, you mean like it was like, that was just
0: the story of your career really. Right. Yeah, uh, it, it was a science to me. I was always thinking about it, uh, hockey fights and all that stuff when it came out actually helped me. Cause I could see what guys, what their tendencies were. It wasn't like, you know, asking the assistant coach, Hey, had you ever seen this guy before? And he tells you that he's left-handed when really he's right-handed or some <laughs> stupid or your teammates that might've seen him in junior and just say, yeah, he's a killer. I'm like, that's not what I need to hear. Like I need to hear <laughs> something else. So, uh, but it probably helped me too when I was younger, as I got older, because when we're in St. John's, like we talked about, like, I had to figure it out on the fly. Like I'm fighting this guy. i have never seen him before. Like you better figure out if he's lefty, righty. Does he like to throw big bombs? Does he like to come down the pipe? Does he like to control you? Does he like to shake you? Does he like to so in having to figure it out on your own, as I got further along in my career and I can actually do a little bit of research on people, I was like, I, I can I got I think I have this guy figured out. It didn't always work, believe me. But right. uh, you remember too though, we'd be wrestling with where's he, DJ, all of us would be wrestling for a half hour after every single practice. The amount of techniques and little tricks you learn doing that for it's like training anything else, right? So you pick right. up a lot of tricks along the way. I um I
1: YouTubed a couple of my my uh, next door neighbor and and former teammate as well, Eric Goddard, former next yeah. door neighbor. Um, anyways, he won a cup with Pittsburgh while I was his next door neighbor, and so we had a little bit of a cup party. And um, obviously, we all know how tough he was. And I was like, I wonder if they fought. And uh, anyways, I, I did. I only saw one. I don't know if he fought more than one. But like, where's, like where's
0: that was his first AHL fight when he was in Louisville. Oh, really? Yeah, so Kevin McClellan was our assistant coach. He's like, authority, know this guy from the dub, tough guy, throws nothing but left. So I, I walk in and square off. The guy hit me with about six rights in the face. It's like, I was like, Mac, don't tell me anymore. Like, I, I'm, I'll, I'd i rather figure it out on my own. Yeah, he punched me in the, God. Um, yeah, we fought probably four or five, six times. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I really? It's
1: a lot. Yeah, because, uh, the yeah. one I saw like he didn't he didn't touch you. Like you 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 got him in the, in the arm and uh and like he couldn't he couldn't get you and um I mean you got him a couple times but like it was it was kind of typical what I remembered of like how you fought, right? Like you would try and neutralize guys and then you would you would get in your shots and you would you would do some damage for sure, but it was more about the technique like you were saying. Like you you didn't prefer to throw hay as as you I mean as I remember, right? So yeah, and, and. only if I knew I was going to
0: absolutely win 100%, Then i come in right. fire as hard as I could. But yeah. if I knew I was in one, yeah, it was all about, I wanted longevity. I didn't want to be that guy that's face was all beaten up. Like, I mean, it's yeah. not perfect, believe me. But uh, I, I noticed, you know, and just watching the players that were making a living out of it, it was the guys that survived and, and really did a good job of just not getting beat up and then winning a few more than they lose that usually had the longevity. So I was always thinking yeah. about that when I was going into it. Um Kevin Sawyer was a past guest in this show too.
1: And uh so is he, and he was a, a complete student of it. Like a complete yeah. student. I think and, he beat uh, the wheels off me in the minors, if I'm not mistaken. I oh, mean, did he? Yeah, I think he beat the wheels
0: off me once, yeah.
1: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know. But he like he would talk about that. And, like Brian Maxwell was a was a was a, was his coach and was a massive mentor for him and talked to him all, you know, tons of these nuances and like where to hold and how to do it. And um, and yeah, he was. And like, again, like as most of you guys are like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet off the ice, like salt to the earth type guy. And um, I don't even know if he's ever been in a fight off the ice in his life, to be honest. But like, you know, right. that's the way he got there. And it was a. Uh, uh, very similar styles. One of your stories in the book that I just I have to bring up uh, because we can make fun of him because it, it reminded me of us sitting in the locker room making fun of him, which I completely forgot about with that Smitty and his shot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you remember this happening? I remember
1: it. Oh no, I don't remember Bird Dog going in the pipes, but like it all flooded back. I'm like, yeah, he couldn't shoot. Like Smitty could not shoot at all.
0: It's Tough as nails,
1: stuff. like and he, he he was hard to play against. And I mean, he mean obviously had his good traits, but he could not shoot a puck, and that just made me laugh out loud when you said bird dog bet him.
0: 10. <laughs> he, uh, I skated with, when he was the coach of the Generals, I skated with them during the lockout whenever I went back home. Uh, and he had like a rule that in practice, the D weren't allowed to take slappers. And I was telling the kids, I was like, it's because he couldn't take a slap shot. He's telling you to lob him in there because he got 70 points a year lobbing him in there. And it works, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, it was out of necessity for him. He was not <laughs> on the corner doing one tees on the power play, that's for sure oh
1: man that was such a great story um i want to talk about michelle Terran and i don't know how open you want to be with it um you you mentioned in the book um first of all i want to rewind just a little bit so you talk about mark dial um so, Diesel, that's crazy. Another past guest on this show, ha- heck of a hockey player, 160-point guy or something in the, in the WHL. Like, when he put that mark up 30, like, nobody's beat that since he's done it, by the way. Really? Still? Yeah, that's like 20-some years old now. Like, so, super crazy. Um, was a good centerman. And um, I was in the game earlier where he, his skate, took out that um, yeah, let Letty. Letty's eye, right, from, from Lowell. Yeah. So, that was a home game. Um, super tragic. Uh, guy was diesel. I mean, he had nothing. He was just going, he was going off the rush across the blue line. A guy back checking him, like kind of tripped him up. His skate comes up and catches this defenseman in the eye. Um, ends up losing his vision. I remember the team left that night and went on the road and like, we, we delivered scratch. some stuff.
0: What's I that? I was a healthy scratch. I had to go in the locker room and hang out with them until the doctors got there. Oh, really? So we got the skate. Yeah. I was, cause so I was working out and the lowell trainers and, uh, Nick brought him in. They're like, we got to go get the doctors. Can you just hang out with them for a few minutes? I'm like, what am I going to say to this guy? he just got a skate in the eye. So I was just cool. asking where he was from and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I I remember this like it was yesterday. Did you go to the hospital with me that night? I'm yeah. Yeah, That absolutely. was
1: me and you then, hey? Yeah. yeah. Wow. i was like i I remembered going there and i'm like i was with somebody but i didn't remember who it was because his team left so that was that that was you and i hey yeah i
0: think did we bring him like a walkman or something yeah yeah yeah, we bought
1: him a stereo or something something that he could listen to music on yeah no that was uh anyways um but the the, how weird is that so like that mark skate does that i end up getting traded at the deadline and then in playoffs that year which i wasn't there mark loses his own eye Mm -hmm. um in kind of a freak freak scenario. So yeah, that's the, sure. that's the she setting.
0: Got caught. Like, yeah, it was a freak accident. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that's the setting of this story. And this is like the first Michelle Terrian story that you talk about in the book. Um, and you say, you're not sure if it was true or not. And I wasn't there firsthand, but Terry Ryan was on that team and Terry Ryan like 100% says it's 100% true. Like that they were not allowed to go to this, to go to see Mark Dial in the hospital. Um, and there's many more stories that I've heard about this Terrian guy that just make him sound like he's not a real good human being. But, uh, anyways, there was that you guys had your own little rift together, and like that went on for years. Like, you want to talk about that? Maybe just like in not not anything new from the book that you didn't talk about.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I, we talked about it both, but like it started in junior. I mean, the Mem Cup. He was the coach of Granby. I'm just some lucky kid to be not playing a shift skating around to lift the fog because there's no humidity. Uh, I guess <laughs> no human, whatever those machines are. Dehumidifier. <laughs> uh, yeah, dehumidifier. And, uh yeah, Peterborough. I'm skating around. He's chirping me. Hey, first shift, Tortan. First shift. Hey, three shifts, Tortan. I'm like, who the, why are you chirping me? What's wrong with you? Right. And then, you know, we do the uh, exhibition series against Fredericton. And every game I'm fighting somebody and. Every It seemed like every single game we played Freddie, there was either, you know, they already had three or four guys with Terry Ryan, Fleming, who had ended up fighting Moose, uh, Sylvain Blouin, but then they're calling up guys from like the senior league. It felt like every game there was somebody new that I had to, to fight, and this guy was chirping me the whole time, and then it carried on to Wilkes-Barre, I mean, Trent Yanni confirmed, he's like, yes, every game somebody was coming after 30. Then it turned, like, it continued on into the NHL, and was like, I don't understand why he picked me. And i guess maybe because our careers like kind of as a coach and a player kind of mirrored each other you know he was like yeah. junior and then minors and then and we were in the yeah. same division a lot but i was like and for me like as a guy that did it like i would never stand behind a bench like when i retired i right. truly, yeah like it's it's left me like i don't have that passion if i, when I was a player it's like how are coaches not getting upset when or excited when goals are going in now i get it like when you retire it's just like it kind of leaves your body right the I couldn't stand back there and chirp, guys. Like, I wouldn't be able to do it. I, maybe the other coach, if they were chirping my players, I'd have, like, that instinct to, like, stick up for my players, my my teammates. But I was like, why? What? what's wrong with this guy? Why? I, I don't understand. So, yeah, we had a we had a rivalry through and through. And I, I, I talked about the book. I honestly wasn't sure what I would do if I ever ran into him. And I ran into him in the hall, and he, like, came up. And he didn't apologize, right? Like, but he yeah. said, really respect you. And I was like, well, I can't choke him out in the hallway now. I <laughs> mean, he just said <laughs> uh but yeah uh, it was it was a lot i mean there's there's stories on stories the terry ryan one obviously uh again like i didn't want to speak without being in the room and you know confirming that it happens to be hearsay and uh, not my place but you know terrible story that you know uh, unfortunately diesel's caught in a hospital just lost his eye like it it's it's not not anything you'd wish on anybody nor should no. you you know use that as a try and use that as some sort of backwards competitive advantage didn't sit right with me right no for sure did you um did you ever hear the the terry story
1: terry ryan story about his meeting his first meeting with with (laughs) did you ever hear that one he probably told me
0: over a few beers when we were playing together but i'm not sure if he uh he
1: called he called him in um called him into his office and uh and terry says so he goes in there he sits down in front of him and uh and terry lights a cigarette right and doesn't say anything and, and I guess Terry sits there and looks at Terry, and then Terry looks at him for, like, the whole cigarette. No one says a word. And Terry just says he's Harry eyeballing him, right? Like, he's just looking at him. And then at the end of it, he says, get the F out of here. And, like, puts a cigarette out, and he leaves. I guess he said it was the weirdest scenario ever. And the boys, you get in the restroom, and the boys are like, he never said anything? He's like, no, he never said anything.
0: He <laughs> You're like, him a cigarette <laughs> and kicked him out? Yeah. Wow.
1: Isn't that wild? Like, Anyways, in this day and age with cancel culture, which I am not a fan of, but it's just like he just finally got fired. But like it just seems so like there's so many things I heard about him, like how he kept having a job was like odd to me. Um, but maybe he was really good at what he did, too. I never played for him, so I have no
0: idea. Yeah, but, uh, the results, uh, you'd have to look at the results to see if they justify or warrant the, the rehiring. But you, know. Coach, you
1: talked about that like bar that. scenario there. And I know you left. Uh, do you want to leave? Like, is there a reason to leave the guy's name out of the conversation?
0: Yeah, I kind of, I didn't want to bring anybody into it that I, you know, it's not my way. Right. I was there, but.
1: Yeah. What a hockey player he was, though. We won't talk about him then, though, but that uh, that's an interesting story in and of itself, How what, what happened with him and everything else around him. Yeah, that guy
0: was a talent. Uh, he People ask me the best player I ever played with. They say he's the best one, I think. No offense, Posse, but he was probably the best player I played with that never, like, truly established an NHL career, and uh, he yeah, he was fun to watch.
1: God yeah really 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 good player yeah players to play with and then uh well anyways yeah we we won't talk about using his name but um anyways let's move on I want to talk a bit about Pat Quinn saying you got to learn how to play um that being a little bit of a shock to you and then you like what what did that mean at the end of the day and how did you learn how to play or what aspects of the game did you start to try
0: and like become better at uh skating stick everything i mean uh i wasn't good enough to be in the nhl right like 100 percent wasn't good enough so you probably remember like me and rich brown would be on the ice and not just me i mean there's five or six of us probably that were out there for I remember two hours. i remember one time i got off the ice early and brownie came in and it's like you, you're that good you don't need to practice anymore i was like well, no I, I, i've been here for two hours i worked out like practice is over i just just wanted to get off the ice like more mental than anything he's like Every single day you're on the ice for the full two hours. That's what you need to do if you want to make it one day. And he wasn't wrong. I had to go out there and stick handle through pucks, do pivoting drills, do all this stuff, extra conditioning because I wasn't playing a lot of minutes. And um, But Pat's saying it. I mean, it was coming from Pat. One thing from your coach, right? But when Pat Quinn says you could be the toughest guy in the history of the world, but I still wouldn't have you on my team. And at that point, people were fighting their way into the NHL, right? At, the, at that uh, juncture, I was like, I can fight my way into the NHL. And when he said, no, you can't, I was like, wow, I must be really bad. I better work really hard to get to get a little bit better. Um, and it wasn't a negative. I, I took it as a positive. I was like, I, listen, we're straight shooters. I, I'd rather hear it that way than some sort of backhanded compliment that doesn't mean anything and, and lulled me into a uh, false sense of security down the minors. Right. Yeah, I know.
1: And um, that was one thing too, like uh, that's something that I've learned and that's one of the things when I'm working with, with players now, it's, it's that idea that you can always get better. I mean, and, and you, you played with some players, I'm sure that exemplify that at the highest level, right? And I got caught in that mode of like, feeling that I was pretty good, you know, and pretty good and pretty successful and didn't really have that growth mindset of like, what can I get better at? Or what is my weakness that I need to work on? You know, you sort of, like you said, there is a little bit of complacency there you can get lulled into without having that perspective or that kick in the pants to say, hey, no, 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 there's more places for you to get to. Yeah. I
0: played
1: char is one of the best
0: at this bergeron like you see z out there he's winning norris trophies he's probably the toughest guy in the league he's scoring 20 goals in the power play and he's out there working on pivoting Wh- whatever it might be. like he's always trying to improve in some aspect if it's if he's playing really well on the ice he's in the gym working on something like he's always trying to figure out he's learning a new language he's al- he's always trying to prove himself as, as a human being and uh i i think that's if you have that mindset and people notice it, it can become really infectious within your organization. Uh, and to be successful, it's the only mindset you should have. To be completely honest, like no, no perfect, no humans perfect. Burgie's as close as I've ever met to being the perfect human being, but no one's perfect. You can always improve on whatever it might be. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big jujitsu guy now. I love going to roll, and I get my ass beat handedly every single day from somebody that's better than me now do i beat three quarters of the people in the gym for role? probably but it's just, i feel like it's the same in hockey like you're, sids working on his game the best players in the world are working on their game to get even better than they currently are they don't get complacent and you you have to have that mindset to be successful right i love i love the example well one i mean connor mcdavid
1: recently this this year everyone's been talking about he's been working on his one timer like i think that's an amazing you know just for like a young person to listen to that right that he's working on improving his shot and he's he's the best player in the, in the world right now like that's that's one thing but I think we place players like Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby these guys that were first overall type players on a little bit of a different pedestal because we we know that their raw natural ability is also like beyond anything that most humans are capable of doing why I love the Chara story and you talk about him is because it seems like he worked his way into being the best defenseman in the world. Like I remember when he came up as a rookie or even clips of him in the WH. like he was not good in a lot of aspects, right? Like, and sure. He had this big body, which he had to grow into and, and become, you know, dexterous with and f- figure out where he was in space. But he was a workhorse on his game and he became great because of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, he, he would be messing with his fle- The year he was winning the hardest shot, he was messing with his flexes to see if he'd get an extra mile per hour out of it or, yeah, he's always constantly looking to improve and he's he's an inspiration for, he should be an inspiration for a lot of young hockey players that, that come up. And the other thing I'll say too, is like, you got to make it fun, right? Like it's it's not, it's really not that complicated. If you're having fun doing it, it doesn't feel like hard work and you'll end up working harder while doing it. And Z made the game fun too. Bergy makes the game fun. Like they're working as hard as anyone I've ever seen, but they're, they're having fun while they're doing it. You talked about being a part
1: and i don't really want to well i'll fast forward but we're going to go rewind a little bit too because when you signed that deal with with boston um i think we got to talk about anaheim previous but i want to talk about that because you're talking we're talking about kind of these key pieces to the the what was the boston cult culture there right and you were a piece of that culture like and it sounds like a pretty big piece but maybe didn't get as much like recognition you know in the mainstream media or maybe from the casual fan right of like um really getting that that culture change and getting that culture rolling what was that like to be part of something as special as the Boston Bruins have been in the last you know 10 12 years
0: it it was really special I mean uh talked about it a bunch and we can talk about Anaheim and Boston right now like the the Anaheim Cup was the most exciting moment of my life until my children were born like there's no nothing even close like I'm career minor leaguer never thought I'd make the NHL end up getting a shot with anaheim play 50 something games play 15 in the playoffs i'm in game five when we won on the ice like putting the cup over my head my most exciting moment of my life like 100 boston win a cup after my third or fourth year there, fourth year um that one meant more than anything else because being a part of that core the being part of the locker room playing many meaningful minutes being in game seven playing minutes in game seven like that cup means more to me than than any other accomplishment uh, in, in the game even though they're two Stanley cups right they, they mean two different things for me so it meant a lot I mean we had a lot of leaders in that room though um it helped that I had 10 10 years in the minors I had a cup uh when we set up leadership groups within the organization like I was in Bergie's leader group like he was the leader but Bergie was the one saying like man you got you're the only one here that has a trophy you have more experience down there you're a captain on three teams already in the minors like you can speak up here like we need we need to know what that's all about too it's not just i you know i'm a really good hockey player and i'm very mature and i work harder than everybody like we need more than that to be successful and then you know there's Bergie, there's z there's we had shane knight we had a bunch of guys that really held each other accountable and held the whole team accountable and and the Culture there was you embraced being held accountable. It wasn't a it wasn't a negative. Like you'd almost be disappointed if your teammate didn't call you out for something. And uh, I think the young guys really took to that. They really embraced it. Uh, I think Milan Lucic is probably. I think he's been on the record talking about it. Now that he's gotten into overplaying over a thousand games, how much it helped him be able to look in the mirror uh, some days and be like, you know what, I I could have brought more last night, and I'm glad somebody told me about it instead of just putting their head down, going to the shower, going to have a beer afterwards, and not addressing the the fact. Like if you want to be a you want to be a really good organization, you have to be able to hold each other accountable, uh being able to do that though you got to know you're, you're a good teammate at the same time and you have each other's backs.
1: One last break here just to remind you about the Peak Potential Hockey Project. This is my rolling 5 Week actually, it's only a four-week program. I shouldn't say only; it's four weeks and it's jam-packed with tons of material. Uh, But it's my four-week high-performance mindset program for hockey players. Uh, We cover four critical elements from my time—not only playing, but now helping teams and helping players. these are the four topics that I think move the needle the most in the mindset department for players who are trying to get better, who are trying to find their ways uh, to greater greater heights, um, higher levels, college scholarships, junior teams, uh, pro contracts, NHL jobs, uh, you name it. Uh, these four skills that I teach in this program, I think are the biggest needle movers. Uh, in week one, we cover mental agility. Uh, in week two, we cover 10x your development. Week three uh, is becoming Bulletproof, where I break down a mind's growth mindset for hockey players. And in week four, it's called Extreme Ownership, where we break in, uh, break down the things you can control as a hockey player and really the only things you should focus on as a ho- hockey player to give you that extreme ownership and accountability to your goals and dreams. Uh, the course is done, uh, designed to be consumed on a daily basis, so players go through it Monday to Friday. Uh, the content is called uh, uh, drip content, so when you wake up in the morning on Monday, there's 20 minutes of lessons, never never more, uh, quite often less. I, I made sure I designed it. Uh, in in packets that are consumable and digestible by today's players so it's not long-winded it's to the point but it's packed full of information so on Monday you'll wake up and you'll have your 20 minutes of content Uh, you cannot move forward you can't go forward to Tuesday until it is Tuesday so you wake up Tuesday and you take Tuesday's content so each week has five days of content in there that can be taken at any point during the day uh, by the athlete who is enrolled in the program uh, and then at the end of the week, we have a coaching call where everyone that's in the program gets on a call with me, uh, and we review the, the 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 week's content. We talk about it, we explore it. I answer any questions. We make sure that they are applying it or knowing how to apply the information. I make them accountable to the information, uh, and then we move forward into week into week two, and so on and so forth until we're finished the four weeks. Uh, this program has been received uh, with high accolades, like they're. I'm so excited talking about it now because there hasn't been one disappointed player or parent out of the over 60 players now that have taken this program. I only released it uh, this in 2021 in the summer of 2021. Uh, and this is being recorded right now in January of 2022. So the program is only six weeks, uh, six months old and um And yeah, we've already had that many players through it. It has been a massive success. I'm being thanked for creating the program again and again and again. So I'm really excited about offering it to all of you out there. Uh, It's available on my website. It's also available as a solo mission, so you can purchase the program uh, and just take it on your own. You don't get me uh, as a guide. You don't get the interaction with me, but you do get access to all the content and all the downloads and all the exercises. Uh, so, if that's more your style and if you're more budget oriented, that is also an option. Both options are available on the WWW Up My Hockey website. Uh, and also, this is available for teams. I have delivered this program to uh, multiple teams now. Uh, the teams can get all their own enrollments, um, signups, and they can take it as a team. I can walk uh, the teams through the coaching calls or a coach can walk the teams through the coaching call. So there is two options there as well for teams. But if you want to leg up a competitive edge on on the competition, if you want to give your program um, a feature and a benefit that other programs aren't offering, uh, if you're looking to be different and proactive and progressive, this is definitely something you should explore. Again, I wish I had it when I was playing uh, and maybe and maybe I would have had a little bit longer career. Uh, but anyways, that's it for the uh, Peak Potential Hockey Project. Uh, four weeks. You can thank me after you take it. Um, trust that this is the program that you need. It's a great starting point to explore mindset in practical, applicable ways that you can implement immediately. Uh, now back to the episode with Sean Thornton. When you so career minor league up to the point well i shouldn't say you you had some you had some games and uh and sound like some extended time in chicago maybe not playing a lot of games so you you had you know a cup of coffee let's say you knew you knew what that life was like but um i wouldn't imagine you felt established at that point um right like yeah right so okay so i was i didn't want to make any assumptions um then you then you you get that you that trade happens and you play like essentially almost a full season in the NHL and you win a cup amazing like year right obviously like you said mind-blowing type of a year and then you're a free agent and people love winners and you sign this three-year deal with boston i'm sure you're over the moon but i'm just i want to talk to the the, the person the human being behind sean thornton like it, was that all like almost surreal like were you were, were you trying to actually believe that you were going to be a full-time nhler at that point or had you embraced that already
0: no i listen having a cup helps playing on a really good team and getting some minutes on a really good team uh, as well. I mean, in Anaheim, I started the season playing with Getzey and Paris because they were actually the fourth line at the time because Randy was the coach and the young guys were the fourth line. I was like, wow, am I lucky to play with these two? I think I had like, I don't know, five or six points in seven or eight games with them. <clears throat> and then I ended up playing on the third line with Penner and Marchand uh, until playoffs. Then we re, uh, reshuffled things. I was back on the fourth line with Mayday. Uh, but I think the, The fact that I was able to play on a pretty good line on a pretty good team and then we won, I had a feeling I was gonna be able to leverage that into a deal. Um I didn't know what the length of the deal was, and that was the most important thing for me. I just wanted some job security, even though you're never your job's never secure, right? There's always somebody coming up trying to take it, and we have you can always be sent down. It didn't have any no move clauses. It definitely wasn't that good that I was getting any of those things. But I had a three-year deal in place, it was a one-way deal for the first time in my career. Uh, and I felt like I was able to settle in and at least try and make something home. I, I remember I walked, uh, into Peter Shirley's bo- uh, office in Boston, like a month after I signed, I went there to look for houses. He's like, Hey, what are you doing in town? I was like, Oh God, yeah, I'm looking for houses. Is that okay? I didn't even think to ask. I just assumed cause I had a three year deal. I, I, I should be, he's like, yes, you're fine. But like, uh, so I was never really, <laughs> I was never really secure. Um, was it surreal? Yeah, it was, I mean, there was a lot of time that went into it, but. I also felt like I was ready for the NHL when I was about 26, 27, 28. I felt like I saw guys that were going up they there doing it. I played against them long enough in the minors. I felt like I was either a better, I won't say a better player, but I, I played the same meaningful minutes, if not more, and more important roles on other teams in the minors, and I was as tough, if not tougher, than them. So I'm like, come on, when's my shot coming? So I was kind of, I was kind of waiting for it. What a stamp of approval, though,
1: right? For like whatever may be uncertainty that was still there of like, you know, I think we all have an element of imposter syndrome at times with whatever it is that we're doing, you know, um, and, you know, for you to be in that locker room and, you know, Bergeron's like, hey, man, like we want to hear you, like, you know, like your voice matters. Like that's a pretty, pretty awesome endorsement, right? To allow yourself to be like, you know what? I am one of these guys and I do belong here and, and my voice matters.
0: Yeah, it really did. The year before, too, in Anaheim, I was lucky that I had uh, Travis Moen there. So Mo was, uh, he was my roommate in Chicago when I was up. Like I was his mentor-ish in the minors. We lived. So when I got to Anaheim, he'd already been established in the NHL for a few years at that point and got to the team and I'm, I'm a 30-year-old rookie. So I just go to the front of the bus, the front of the plane, just put my head down. And he was actually the one who's like, authority, like you can't be sitting in front of me. Like I don't care how many games I have. Like you've got 10 years down there. They mean just as much to us. And like he kind of helped the room understand like where I had come from and, who I was so that, that that helped too in Anaheim uh as much as I was a really small part of that team it did help that I felt a little bit more comfortable having somebody that was uh younger than me vouching for no this guy's uh, he's a wily veteran just doesn't have the games up here yet right uh, and then yeah getting to getting to Boston you know Bergy I mean Milan Lucic was an 18 year old kid and he's like this guy's 31 years old and he's just making the NHL now it was like mind-blowing to him what was going through his mind but uh, I was just lucky. Really good team. I didn't know one person in that organization when I signed there. I didn't know much about the city. I'd only been there once before, but uh, one of the best decisions I've ever made.
1: Yeah, and that's, I mean, in reading that book, like that was something where I related to, like, it, the, the only commonality was that when I got traded to Toronto, I didn't know anybody. Um and not having played 10 years anywhere you know like being a rookie right yeah. and like a different coach and different players and there wasn't one friendly face in the room and by friendly i don't mean they were all dicks to me i just mean that i didn't know anybody right yeah. um and that's hard yeah i mean that's hard and it, and it's um i'm sure it's i'm sure it's hard even at 30 years old because there is a and you know how we both i think we're both wired that same way like for me my emphasis was like finding the respect of my guys in that room however that was whether that was going out for beers with them whether that was hanging out whatever that was so like for me like that was forefront like i needed to get these guys to know me to like me i wanted to feel uh you know a part of things and uh yeah anyways like looking i, I just remember that feeling being like really that was really important and, and at the time when i got traded for me personally it was like not that the hockey took a back seat because it didn't obviously we're there to play hockey but I wish it was almost like I had a little bit more of that professional, like take care of yourself right now. Like don't, don't worry about, about the room or who your friends
0: are, you know, yeah, yeah. like just take care of the game. But it is important to get to know them. I will say, I mean, my, so my first year in Boston, because I didn't know anybody, you know, I have a house now. My, I didn't. And kudos to my wife on agreeing with me. My wife didn't come until after training camp was over. She treated it like I was still trying out for the team. So I could get to know my teammates, get in, engulfed in the, in the culture and really, and then she came in probably two weeks into the season, I would say. So that really helped me acclimate into the Bruins because I, you know, you're able to, you know how it is. I mean, you're, you're married. You usually go home afterwards and you pick your spots here and there. But I literally got to go with dinner, lunch. Every, I didn't have to worry about being on a schedule other than being on my teammate's schedule and getting to know all the guys. So it, it was a big help there. How much does,
1: um, like, let's say, Anaheim had a good team there. Like you played you played that year, and like that was your first, you know, season of being an NHLer, let's call it, right? Like you played the 46 games, you were in the lineup more than you were out, you were playing minutes. Um, but then you win the cup. Let, let's pretend to somehow that that team has a first round exit. Like, how much do you think that winning, um, because people talk about it all the time, right? And I think nowadays, even maybe more so, like you're worried about stats and you're worried about this and you're worried about that. But like being a part of something that wins is sometimes has way greater consequences than anyone could imagine.
0: So I, I say it all the time. I kind of say it in jest, but stats are for losers. I mean, the only thing that matters is winning, really. Uh, for me, if say, hypothetically, we had a first round exit from talking to my agent throughout the season. I think I would have been able to leverage into a one way deal somewhere. I'm not sure I would have got three years anywhere, though. I think it would have been another. Uh, all right, well, let's see if he really has it. But that cup really helped me, I think, uh, secure a three year deal. Um, and the best teams I played on and Chris Kelly was one. we had a room full of these guys, but Chris Kelly said it best. When he came into our locker room at the trade deadline that year, He's like, this is a team that's happier for the guy next to you to score 30 goals and for you to score 30 yourself. And having that mindset inside the locker room and all your, the only thing anyone really cares about is winning. Nobody's looking at the stat sheet afterwards to see if they got ripped off on an apple and somebody else had it. And they're going to the PR guy to argue for their assist back. Like, I I can't remember any of that happening on our on our on our Stanley Cup team. I I really don't. It was just, did we win? Did we win the right way? Do we have to improve on something? And did everyone here do the job to their best of the ability? Uh, and great, you got a few points, happy for you. Like let's, you know, think about it till tomorrow and then get back to work. That that was it. Nobody cared about their plus-minus. Nobody cared about their time on ice. They just wanted to contribute to winning a game. You know, that, that was all that mattered. Can you teach that? Uh I think your leadership group, well, it's probably in that organization, it probably starts from the top, right, with uh, with at the time, Cam, Peter, Claude, and then obviously that's how Z is wired, that's how Bergy's wired, that's myself, uh, Kels, when he got there, Andy I mean, we had guys that were just wired that way, and I think they did a good job of finding culture guys that were wired that way, and then when your core is wired that way, everyone else buys in or they're, or they're gone. There's no in-between on it, right? Like the Patriots used to talk about that, right? The Patriot way. Or it's Basically, it's, it's kind of like Tom Brady's way. Like you buy in or, or he's going to find somebody that will buy in. So right. uh, I think it's really important to, for that culture. I haven't been in a locker room in five years. I'm not sure what they're like anymore, to be completely honest. But uh, that was a big reason we were success- very successful. Yeah. And it's such a common theme. And they always
1: say success leaves clues, right? And it's... Uh you know, you look for those clues and, and, and not only does it like clues to being successful, but like the backhand side of that is, is like, you look at guys that win Calder cups, right? I'm talking AHL, it's the AHL, championship coaches included, right? You look at guys that win any Stanley cups, like those guys go on to have longer careers, longer contracts, make more money. One, because people, it, it's hard to win and you don't know what it's like until you do it. Um, and people want winners, but like it helps you individually. And that's like the part that I think the young athlete has a really hard time figuring out because you want to score the goals or you want to have, you know, the accolades because that's what you think people are looking at yet. If you can find a way to make everyone else around you more successful and your team more successful, that is going to help you out uh, as well. It's it's a, it's a hard one. It's a hard one to teach, but I a hundred percent agree with you when, when the, when the core, when the core that's, if that's the way everyone is, um, you got to get in or you, or you, or you got to get out. Right.
0: Agreed. Uh, I'm not a scout, but like when I, when I'm on the outside looking in and you talk about the best players in the game, I look at it as who are the guys that make the guys that are with them better. Right. Like, listen, Bergie's playing with pasta and Marshy and they're two world-class athletes, but I've seen him play with a lot of players over the day. And every person that plays with them becomes a better player with them. Barkov on our team, same thing. Sid, maybe arguably the best in the game at that. doesn't matter who you put on his flanks it seems like he's making them uh, an all-star so that's i think more important for me when I'm when if I was a scout judging top level talent than who's putting up the most points like that'll probably happen if you're that type of guy but when you can make the players around you that much better like that that shows true intelligence i think yeah. Well, you've, I mean, that's the thing. So you played with, in
1: Anaheim there and won a cup. Boston had that, had that uh, culture for a long time. Like maybe you never, I mean, I don't know what it was like when you got to Florida, I guess they were kind of in the middle of not where they wanted to be. And now obviously you guys are looking real strong, but was there a big, did you feel that difference? Cause I've talked to other guys at the NHL level who, you know, you can go from one place where you feel one thing. Um, Brad Larson comes to mind actually right now when he went from, he went from the Colorado avalanche and Joe Sackick and Forsberg and these guys. And you talk about accountability, like he speaks to it beautifully. And then he ends up in, uh, in Atlanta. And he's like, I might've been, I felt like I was in a different universe, right? You know, like it wasn't even the same league, right? How people were handling stuff and guys breaking their sticks. Cause they didn't get a, the apple you're talking about. And, you know, no one gave a shit about winning. It was all about personal, um, success or failure. And, um, like, did you, did you have a chance to feel that as a player at the NHL
0: level, the difference? Uh, no i will say when they brought me to florida they brought in myself willie mitchell Derek mckenzie uc okanen lou came here the year before and dale brought us in for for that very reason we had won or been successful in other organizations really good organizations and he wanted to bring that culture to a young team that didn't didn't have that yet and it's not because the players that were here weren't those players it's just like they were really young so they didn't they hadn't invested in dale didn't feel at the time the young core needed that investment made until they brought us in and and we tried to instill you know the things that we had learned over the past 15 16 17 years we definitely all of us myself mitchie mac uh, uc we're all about team good is better for everybody than individual good and uh, but i we're also lucky like eclad Barkey, hubie not selfish individuals to begin with so really just emphasizing that guys keep doing the right things for the right reasons. And it will work out at some point if, if you, uh, surround yourself with the right pieces and create that, that culture. Um, so, no, I, I don't think I ever experienced it my whole career, actually, even in the minors, I was never on a team that didn't have a good bunch of guys that were looking out for each other more than themselves, right. No, that's be there, but they, they were gone so, pretty quick.
1: Right. Um, do you feel? I know. I know you're in a, obviously in a different role. You're, you're still involved with the Panthers, but do you feel like because those guys were young and now they're the leaders on on your team right now, which is being successful? Do you feel like you have your fingerprints on 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 kind of the culture there a little bit? Like, do you feel there's a little bit of what you guys
0: started there left? I don't know. I don't. I literally have. I. am I'm, I'm so far removed now from the hockey side that uh, I mean I, I'll text Eck every once in a while, but Embarky if they you know say congrats and some things, but I. I don't really have a feel for the locker room any, anymore down there. And I think they brought in some really good pieces too. Bill Zito's done an amazing job with like Patrick Hornquist, uh, Gouda, so like some really good character guys. And uh Bennett plays guys yeah, too. Yeah, that have helped. So I, I don't know. Uh, you'd have to ask them if right. I had any sort of influence on them whatsoever. They might have said, no, I, I ignored everything he said. I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> might no. have the right interview to too.
1: Um. I just started reading the chapter about Tuca. Uh, I have a goal. I have a son who's a goalie. My middle son's a goalie and uh, he, mean, he's 11 years old. Uh, Good at the position. You know, he's super fiery and super competitive, like it's great to a fault right now, you know, but like, and that's the thing. I I, I think competitiveness, I mean, you you can't really have too much of it. You just have to learn how to deal with it and how to, how to work it. Um, and that's one thing I'm trying to help him with. Uh, can you maybe speak to that? Because you, you you saw Tuca, which I don't, I didn't. I mean, I, I know him as just being a world class goalie, and I didn't know what he was like in Providence, or I haven't seen the videos that you were talking about. Like, what what was he, um, and and what did that look like, and how and how did him learning to deal with maybe that competitive fire's emotions, like help him become a better goalie?
0: Yeah, I think he. Uh, yeah, I hate to talk for other people, but I think he learned how to channel it properly. Um, he is. Arguably, and I'm biased because he's a friend, but arguably the best goalie of the last 14-15 years, right? You'd be hard pressed to find somebody that's had such a consistent carry him, carry Price, and uh, you have to find another guy, maybe. But um <clears throat> game does he works hard at it, but he's also a nationally gifted goalie, right? Like, I mean, I remember skating with him the lockout, guys from other teams like you have to shoot on this guy every day. Like, how do you have any confidence whatsoever? Anybody on your team? Like, he doesn't even break a sweat, and nobody can get one by him but he does he does work he thinks the game really well he puts a lot of a lot of thought into a lot of effort um he was firing as young but again probably similar to me and my antics after fights like uh I I had to learn I was very competitive if I won I was very happy if I lost a fight I was very upset uh and you definitely knew where I stood in both situations uh and then I with some mentoring from other people I learned how to channel it the right way uh or at least mask what it looks like until you're in a position or uh, a spot where nobody could see you and you can probably break a stick in the back room instead of doing it in front of twenty thousand people right. um so he now actually it's its funny because people perceive him as this very laid-back la, la-di-da like i'm gonna stop the puck if i win i win but he he is as competitive as i have any athlete i've ever met he just doesn't show it uh he'd be a good card player now he'd be a good poker player now right
1: yeah, well, I mean, I just love that because that's one of the things that I work with athletes on is like really how to use it. You know what I mean? And, and, I'm, and sometimes you get it from experience. Some guys never get it, right? Yeah. Some guys are constantly trying to find it. So that was more like kind of, and I guess you can't, you, you don't necessarily know where, where he found that. Sometimes it's just, it is perspective and it is age. But um, yeah, there is, especially in that position, like that goalie position where, there needs you need to feel calm like how you said like in the room right like you didn't want somebody sitting next to you thinking that you were you were shy about doing what you were going to do or you were uncomfortable like you don't want to look back and the guy between the pipes and go oh my god i don't know what's going to happen next right like you know you, you have
0: to have some type of comfort with that yeah and those guys too i mean they're like pitchers right the the game hinges on their performance really a uh, goalie is the most important position in the game in my opinion i mean we have you mess up on up front you have three, four people behind you that are going to bail you out, hopefully before it even, when it's just you, the goalie, you're the last line of defense. So you're, you're exposed a little bit more than most. And it's usually due to the mistakes that we made in front of you. Um, But I think good goalies are confident They're They make it look, I won't say easy, but they have a a calming influence uh, for, for the team. Uh, I know he, he definitely had that for us. Like, uh, and Lou was the same thing here, and Jiggy was in Anaheim. Like when he was in the pipes, like, all right, boys, we we know what we're getting night in and night out, right? Like it's consistent, confident. You know what you're getting, and control team play a little bit better in front of them. Yeah. Did um. Yeah. I mean, I think about, like I
1: said, like they're in control. You just have that feeling that like, they, they got things taken care of, whether there's a good goal or a bad goal. And and yeah, they might be burning inside, but like, there's just a little bit of a swagger there where you're like, Oh, they got this. You know? Yeah. I got the next one. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, about the down up three, nothing. Um, you called it the collapse. Uh, and then you guys come back and you're down three, two in the final, uh, and are able to come back and win game seven in, in Vancouver. Uh if there isn't lessons learned from the first one, you probably don't win the second one, I assume. Um, uh, what what went wrong uh, in the first one? And, and how did that going wrong help you help you in the final of the next year?
0: Yeah, so we were playing Philly in the second round. Uh, we went to game. We were up 3 nothing in the series. Kretch got hurt. Uh, that didn't help. He was, leading, I think, leading the team in playoff scoring at the time. He's a remarkable playoff performer. He's a remarkable <laughs> career, period, but really stepped up in the playoffs. Um so end up you know losing three in a row we go to uh back to Boston we're up three nothing in the first period and again I'm not saying I I saw things through a different lens or I'm better than it but I remember when we scored three nothing the the celebration on the bench was of almost hey all right boys we got this it's three nothing and I remember saying to myself like it's we don't have this like there's a long there's a long game left and um <clears throat> and we lost. We literally collapsed. The, the Flyers did an unbelievable job of continuing to put pressure on. They never gave up. They came back and and ended up beating us in game seven. It was one of the more crushing defeats that I've ever had as a, as a professional athlete. Um, but you fast forward to the next year, we had heard about it all summer, right? You couldn't get away from it. Even if you lived in Canada, like the greatest collapse in the history of the NHL playoffs, the only third team to do it. I can't remember when the team before us was. Didn't matter. But we used that as fire to go into the next one and we had some tough, we had three game sevens, I think, in that playoff run to win the cup. And it really taught us like, you play until the final whistle. And again, if you're down by a couple goals, that confidence that you're talking about, like, that's all right, boys, we're down two. that's fine. We got, we have 50 minutes left, it's lots of time. Like, let's just figure out a way to, to make it happen. So that lesson was huge for our, for our team going into the next season. And I don't think, uh, I shouldn't say, I don't think we win 2011 without it, but it definitely helped win in 2011 going through 2010. Right. Yeah, that's, uh,
1: I mean, we don't care where you're playing. I mean, playoff series, like there's momentum is something for sure. You know, uh, it doesn't It doesn't mean everything, but it is something. Going back in there to game seven, I can imagine you guys, and I mean like the first time, um, probably felt, I mean, you're not, you didn't want it to be in game seven in the first place. So no one probably felt good about it going in, but there was probably a relief. Like I, I, I can almost feel that myself, although I was nowhere near that bench. But, you know, like you've now lost three in a row. It's the first period. You're up three nothing, and it kind of feels like yes, like finally, like we're gonna get this thing done, you know? Yeah. Um, and then that little, that little probably minute or two of uh, of comfortability, and, and and it all goes sideways. Um, how how we the resiliency? I don't know the playoff run up to Vancouver, and I'm from BC, so I remember your series quite well, um, just from a spectator standpoint. What happened in those previous ones? Did you guys have to come back uh, to get to those Game 7s again? And yeah. you built up some
0: resiliency there? Yeah, Montreal, we were down uh, – I think we had home ice advantage. We did have home ice advantage. We were down 0-2 going into Montreal. We always had a tough time playing in Montreal, and we went two games in Montreal. Uh, we ended up going to Game 7, uh, I think double overtime, if I'm not mistaken. I'd have to, I can't remember if it was Game 7 or Game 5. It was double overtime, but Nathan Horton scored the game-winning goal. Uh, the next series we swept um, – Philly series after that, we played Tampa. I was only in the first two games and then I was a healthy spectator for the, for the rest of them. But we went to game seven against, uh, game, ta- uh, game seven against Tampa at home. And then another game seven against Vancouver. So it was, it was a, it was a long playoffs, long playoff series. Other than the the Philly series. I think, uh, you know, we grinded it out and we didn't know where we were going to end up. We were playing really good teams and buildings. We didn't have a lot of success in, in the past. So, uh, we mentally got through it though. Is, uh, I know
1: you're beloved in Boston and it talks about that in the book that you're kind of made to be a Bruin in a lot of ways. And and, uh, and you spent the majority of your career there. Is that uh, do you still have a house there? Do you go back there? Is that home or like how, how, where does where does Boston sit for you now? your mean,
0: next Thursday, actually, uh, I have uh, my foundation's based out of there. I still have a house there, but I rent it out. Uh, I found some renters that have been great. They take care of it uh, now with my family, uh, the grown since I came to Florida. I, it's probably too small doesn't fit us anyways but uh, I I get back probably in between six and ten times a year uh, for various charity events or if I'm lucky enough people will still pay me a little bit of money to, for me to sign autographs and entertain uh, our parent company uh, I shouldn't say parent company but the owners of the Florida Panthers uh, they own a business called virtue financial so they have an office in Boston so actually in two weeks I'm I'm going back to host some clients uh, at a Bruins game with our with Virtue CEO, who's our minority owner, Doug Sifu. Um, it feels like home when I go back. Uh, the Family, we usually vacation there for a week or two in the summer, but I, I'm here in the office for, you know, 340 days a year, I'm, I'm here in the office. So uh, I don't get back as much as I'd like, but I, I try and get back whenever I can. Sure, yeah, that's a tough spot to leave, I'm sure, with all the success there and, you know, this must
1: be a feel-good place. Uh, I'll close with one question and actually, I mean, we can maybe even, who knows how long we'll talk about this for, but I got a, I got a parent group on Facebook parents from all over North America that, uh, well, we talk hockey and I try and help guide the ship a little bit and, you know, keep, uh, keep their perspective on the rails. You know, Mm -hmm. having young kids, as you know, now and being a parent and wanting the best for them, sometimes you can be, you know, your heart's in the right place. Maybe you're not doing quite the right thing. So anyways, the group's super cool. And and I, when I, I'm interviewing somebody like you, I'll ask if there's any questions. And there was one question, um, today from, from Tim Raymond, who says, um, I have a question: How a labeled enforcer from his era in the league, with his style, that was beneficial, um, looks at the current gameplay and sees certain game situations where enforcer type player is needed. Like, how do you view, view the state of the game now um, through your lens and uh, and your place in it? I think the
0: I think the game's in a better spot. I really do. I think the NHL's done an amazing job. I think the the product is as exciting as it's ever been. Um, <clears throat> again, we talked about it at length, like it got me in the door, right? Like me having to do what I had to do, but I think the game's a better spot that the so-called stage fighting, the two guys that just went out and punched each other in the face at the start of every game. Then again, didn't get another shift. Like I, I never really loved that. Um, again, I did it for a while. You saw me do it in St. John's. I had to do it some nights, but like, I never liked the fact that I was just going out there to fight some six foot four or six foot five monster, just to prove who was tougher to get the game started uh now for me was it necessary sometimes I remember games that we had lost three in a row and I go out there and fight bolts uh and it fired the team up so uh but again he was playing minutes I was so anyways long story short I like that there's no more one-dimensional fighters in the game I I really do uh I think there'll always be a place for fighting in the game though the intimidation is a part of life that game is 200 by 85 with no out of bounds guys skating 30 miles an hour uh the toughest of the tough individuals mentally and physically and it becomes a pressure and cooker pressure cooker in there some nights and uh believe it or not two guys that know what they're doing getting them off and and getting rid of that tension is a positive outlook or outcome for the game uh, in some situations and i don't think i don't think that'll ever go away i mean uh kind <clears> of <throat> take it back to the schoolyard when you had a beef with somebody sometimes it's just good to go punch each other in the face and then you're probably best friends for the rest of your life after that it's kind of uh, on a much grander scale that type of mentality so i think fighting will always be a part of the game i, I just don't I, I am a fan of the fact that the one-dimensional type guys are, are not part of it anymore yeah i agree
1: uh i agree with that aspect for sure i, I I've, talked into, I've talked about it a bit on this platform just how rare how much more rare it is to find someone like you. And I think you're actually a good example when I was taught, when I was thinking of that, like, you know, like a Tom Wilson, like, you know, I don't know if you put your same in the same class as Tom Wilson, you know, maybe plays more minutes and he has a few more goals and and that type of thing, but you could play. And I guess like, that's the thing with me is like guys that can play um, Luch is kind of filling that role now at the end of his career, but like who have that edge, who can still intimidate, right. Can drop the gloves if need be. Um, Teams that have players like that, are better teams, I think. I you know? and, and I just think that those guys are are so hard to find now because junior isn't like it was when we were there, you know? And yeah. and the way they're brought up in minor hockey isn't the same way. And that's one thing that I kind of beat my drum for. I'm like, oh my gosh, find some sandpaper. If it's anywhere inside of you at all and you want to be a hockey player, find some sandpaper because everybody
0: still wants it and can use it. I think it goes back to making yourself better all around, right? So everyone has weak weaknesses. Everyone has deficiencies, mine was skating, probably uh, stick handling, what I was going for. Fighting was the easy part for me. But if I flip it around, and I look at guys like Jerome McGinley, like, even sit like, they know how to take care of themselves. Like you're not learning how to take care of yourself and finding that grit and edge is not detrimental in any way, shape or form. Uh, If you have it in, in you, you should be training to learn how to take care of yourself. It's only adding to your you know full portfolio if you will and I, mm. I i completely agree with that i mean if i could have just made it on fighting maybe i would have but i had to become a better hockey player i think if you could just make it on hockey on hockey skill alone why wouldn't you make yourself a, one of the tougher guys that's one of the best hockey players and uh, right. and be able to bring that to the table as well
1: no, I agree. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I do agree with you. I think it's like where the game's at, it's better for the growth of the game. I still have a hard time watching some regular season games. Like it's just there's n- no hitters out there. That's just sort of me and where we came from. Like I like the game a little more edge, but I do. I love the game now in the playoffs. Like I, I, I still think like playoff hockey now is awesome because it's still fast. Um, it's still super skilled, but you still got to be tough. You know you got to be tough to win still
0: i'm with you because i'm old school as well and it's from our generation but I, I i see all the guys like training together in toronto or wherever they might be and you know they're all they all seem to be friends even though they're not teammate like that part for me is hard to understand because i i wouldn't even go to meetings sometimes if i thought somebody was thought they're going to be friends with me because it took away from me being able to do my job and intimidate them so i i do think that's changed a little bit uh but and I remember, like I said, I skated with Smitty, uh, this junior team. I, I had a hard time. I found, like, two or three guys. Everyone else looked the same to me. I'm not a scout, by the way. But, like, almost every kid looks like they're, they are they want to be Connor McDavid, which is who I want to be, too. Like, don't get me wrong. I would have loved to have been. But <clears throat> to your point, like, I you don't see the – you used to be able to see, like, the style of play almost fit a guy's character. When we grew up, it, it seems like almost everyone's molded the same. Uh, and I have a tough time finding – I don't know. I, I watch a game and I'm like – Everyone's trying to carry it across the blue line. Like I never would have thought to carry it across the blue line. Like I was getting it every <laughs> single time, right? Like I know puck possessions become very important, all, but it's just it looks like a different game now than it did definitely than it did when we played.
1: Yeah. And there still is room for that. And I guess that's the thing. I hope I hope it doesn't go away. Um, I think I think the game is trying to make it become not I mean, like the rules in Junior and the BCJ shell and some of these places, like where you're getting kicked out for a fight. Like I I don't know what the next 20 years looks like, but I do think that the game the game is better. I mean, maybe that's the old school part of me that, that thinks that, uh, but I hope, I hope they keep it in. And I do, I do see that, that pendulum swinging a little bit back, you know, like where, where, yeah, we are trying to identify some, some grit and some toughness. And again, not in the old school way of like just somebody who fights, but somebody who will finish checks. somebody who will go to the dirty areas and make it tough on the competition. Um, Those, those guys are definitely in vogue, which, which makes me feel good. Cause that was something that I was proud of, even as a goal scorer. Like, you know, like you said, when we played, like I remember you and Smitty actually always wanted me to fight more. Cause you guys thought I was pretty good at it. And you I mean, I, whatever, I, I did it enough. I thought, but like, you still have to be tough to score goals then, right. you know what I mean? Like in your own way, like you had to go to areas where you were going to get hurt, you know, and, and not everybody wanted to do that. So that's one thing I've said in this platform before is like, that was one of the things that I was proud of, like being able to say that I was a hockey player was that I was able to do things that were hard to do. Like how you said, you know, in my own way, cause it wasn't easy. And, uh, and that's kind of the one thing that I take when I look at the game in some areas today. I'm like, it's not that hard to do that anymore. You know, oh, like, it's, yeah. well, yeah, they got rid of a few
0: of the rules that, yeah, still the few of the rules that used to make it miserable to stand in front of the net. You can't just break <laughs> your stick on somebody's back anymore. <laughs> that's not allowed, uh, which is probably for the better, but uh, it is.
1: <laughs> no, it is. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's a, it's a great game. And I know that you're still involved in it. And I mean, it's, it's going to be a piece of my life forever. And, uh, uh, maybe off actually, you know, maybe I'll be a good way to close. Uh, we, we talked about everything you did on the ice. I know you're still involved with the Panthers now, maybe give us a little bit of a, you got a pretty fancy title there in your email thread. What, uh, what it is are you doing now? And how are you helping the Panthers be a, be a better team?
0: Very fancy title. Yeah. So, uh, I oversee, <clears throat> uh, marketing partnerships, content, community foundation uh game presentation and biz development for the for the Panthers here so uh currently right now like my biggest priority is getting back into the community uh and creating revenue for the foundation seeing as COVID really put a a damper on any of those events and obviously the player protocols can't use the players for a lot of these things uh and then we're searching for a new naming rights partner for our arena so that's like those are my two biggest focal points right now and continuing to create engaging content for uh our brand and being able to you know try and grow our brand so that that's sort of my day-to-day um i I love it i the business of sports was always a passion of mine Uh, i was very lucky that the the violas and the seafoods bought this organization they picked my brain on a lot of things i had seen uh throughout my career and i was also lucky that the bruins allowed me to sit in the office after practice and really just drink it in on what the day-to-day looks like and i was a little bit more knowledgeable than most players and yeah. So when I was retiring, they offered me the job to come on this side of the table and, and really, you know, try and learn as much as possible. So uh, Gary gave me advice when I stepped in this. He said, you, it's like, it's just like hockey. You get out of it what you put into it. So the harder you work, the more successful you're be, you'll be. And, you know, we're kind of from the same cloth there. It's like we're, we're not going to get out of work. So uh, I come in every day and just try and work my hardest and do what's best for the organization.
1: That's awesome. I was wondering how the uh, the evolution of that, like sort of your genesis story. So like that was it was them approaching you or was was there a mutual understanding that you wanted to be involved in some capacity?
0: Uh, yes and no. So I, I became really tight with our now CEO, uh, Matt Caldwell, while I was playing here. And like I said, uh, when I was with the Bruins, like I had created my own sort of brand, uh, I became really tight with the CMO for the Bruins, the, the partnerships, uh, Chris Johnson, their president, Amy Latimer. And I. Uh, I used to sit in the office all the time and just really pick their brains on the business of things. And uh, I actually had a job offer my second year in Florida, which ended up being my second last year uh, to go back to Boston, do community relations, with the Bruins. Uh, I was going to be on TV with Nesson doing like an armchair quarterback uh, type show pre -pre pregame. I was going to be the conduit between some of the sports teams that I had relationships with, like some players on the past, the Red Sox, and they're going to create some content around that. And the, Doug Sifu and Matt Caldwell came to me and said, you know what, like in talking to you and it was little things like, What'd you, what do you think about parking? What do you think about partnerships? What do you think about using players and XYZ? And I told them how we were successful in other organizations and what wasn't successful. And I said, you know, we think you're a little smarter than you let on. We'd love for you to join the business side. And I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I had about a month that I stewed on it. Um, my wife helped in this decision too. She said, like, you going up to Boston and just critiquing people uh not really and being like an unbiased uh reporter like i I just don't you you need a vested interest in an organization for you to be happy uh and that helped my decision too but the business of sports is always a passion of mine Uh, i was just lucky i didn't think anyone ever trust me to be in this role Oh, that's
1: amazing. That's cool. I think there's something to be said for that. And that's something that I do, uh, that I have chatted about before and something that I think I missed the boat on. Like again, we, we, we talked about the relationship, the player relationships, like that was something that I spent a lot of time and invested a lot of time in. Um, but I didn't like, I didn't cross the line and like get to know my coaches. I didn't get to know the assistant coaches. I didn't get to know the GM or like, I was never in a place. Maybe I wasn't in a place long enough either, but I always sort of felt, I don't know. Like that bridge wasn't there you know what i mean and and, yeah. and the relationships in hockey are the most important ones in any capacity like you know even the fact that we can get on this call right that i can give you an email and you know we played together for two years and we respect each other and you're you'll you'll uh, donate your time to me that's that's something that says something about you it also says something about me right, right. because we were able to invest enough in each other that we respect each other enough you to do that as a player was smart like but i bet you it wasn't calculated in the sense of like oh i want to work my way in here like you probably came at it from an just the idea of curiosity right like you're
0: interested 100%. i was i felt fortunate that they allowed me inside that world as a player i mean uh there's it was definitely advantageous for them too i mean when uh chris johnson the vp of partnerships you know has a dinner with at and and he knows i'm interested in this and can bring me along like that that definitely helps him being able to have the access to that player but for me i was like oh i'm getting to see what the inner workings of a marketing partnership deal might look like. Like, that's, that's huge for me. And for me, like, I was always wondering when when the day was going to end, right? Like, my career went till I was 40. I'm completely I'm so fortunate, like, but every single day, I'm like, when's the shoe going to drop? And what am I going to do after the shoe drops? So I was always trying to think, like, you got to start setting yourself up for whatever might be next. And if you don't have any lines in the water, you're you're not going to catch anything. So I was just trying, you know, trying to set myself up for whatever was next because I didn't make enough just to shut it down I knew that and I wasn't going back to the factory so it's uh, <laughs> always trying to figure out what was next that's awesome and what is, so what is the title I can't remember it's not in front of me it uh, was uh, chief commercial officer I'm chief a C-level commercial. executive
1: nice man so from the steel mill to C-level of the Florida Panthers uh, and a 20-year professional hockey career essentially right I mean that's yep. Yeah, 20 years. Play till you're 39. I checked your birth date. I'm like, did he actually play an NHL game at 40? And you just had uh, you, the season finished prior to your turn 40. Just, That's amazing, though, bro. Like, wow. Every, every uh, 10 years straight in the NHL, essentially, after, no, 11. Was it 11 years? Yeah, after you, after you got out of the minors, I love that so much. Everything about it is amazing. Um, we'll cut your time off. I know uh, I, I know you've donated here an hour and twenty, so we'll cut her short. Um, but I know everyone got a ton from this. Uh, appreciate the book. Yeah, I got it here beside me. I'm not quite through with it. I'll throw it up on the camera. I love that uh, title, man. You're looking like a superhero there almost.
0: <laughs> really good lighting from a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> to get so
1: a- go out there and get it, support it. Uh, it's a yeah. great story. And it's one of those stories, too, um, that, that it's just like inspiring because, you know, like that, that stick to itness, the perseverance, the resilience, the. Uh, the evolution of getting better and finding a way, you know, is like, there's so many amazing things. I can understand why they wanted you to write about it because, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a rarity. It does happen, but it's a bit of a rarity. So, uh, good on you. Really proud to, uh, really proud of everything you did there, buddy. Nice. Um, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, cool. All right. So we'll cut her off. Uh, that was another great episode with Sean Thornton. Uh, until next time, um, play hard, keep your head up. Cheers. Alrighty. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the end faithful listener. Uh, Authority is a great dude. uh, And I call him a dude because he is a dude. He's just a good, good human. He's a guy that you definitely would want to sit and have a beer with around a campfire. Uh, He's somebody that you would enjoy having over for a dinner party. Uh, He also knows how to get it done on the ice. He knows how to win championships and he knows how to sell marketing as he's doing right now with Florida very resourceful guy, very intelligent guy, and um, and as you heard from the uh, from the interview itself, like his story is is so great. Uh, you know, he did fight his way into the NHL, but he sure didn't fight his way through the NHL. Uh, he ended up solidifying himself as a very very valuable player in an, on an amazing team in a very deep locker room, and he was looked upon for his leadership um, and for the way he kept kept people accountable. Um, he never lost track of his roots they're still with him today they uh, you know, from his father and from the from the steel plant and and uh, you know and, and his upbringing and I just love that about him and I love that about most hockey players in general too I do love that about the culture that generally um, not too much changes changes these guys and uh, and I love that I'm able to pick up the phone after 20 years of playing together and uh, and have a conversation like like you know, it was yesterday uh, that we were just out there at practice. So, anyways, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. If you want to sh- support Sean, uh, the, his book is a great place to start. Uh, you know, it, it is a good story. It, it's a great, uh, it's a great gift for for the aspiring hockey player, and uh, and you do hear some pretty cool uh, inside scoops in there, some of which were discussed in this podcast. But uh, yeah, uh, tons of fun. Talk about resilience. What a, I mean. It's totally totally resilient totally persistent totally patient um, willing to evolve all these things um, that I love these traits that, that I love that will do you well in whatever it is you want to do in life um, all those lessons are, are, are in this episode so um, until next time, once again, I appreciate you listening. Keep those reviews coming in. Uh, keep those downloads happening. Keep sharing the podcast with others. Uh, let's keep building this and getting this into new ears. Uh, remember, upmyhockey.com and the parent group, if you want to be one of the people that can ask questions to my guests, get in the parent group, and uh, and you can get your question asked on the air. And until next time, play hard and keep your head up.